Chapter Six of the Man with the Black Cord by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What Stillinger Saw on the Black Moor. That same evening, while Mueller and Carl Tunner were making the journey from Pressburg to Vienna, Lieutenant Paul Orlock sat by the side of Miss Nellie von Feldern in a cosy drawing-room, bright with lights and flowers. There had been no definite word spoken between the young people, but they themselves were as little in doubt as to their feelings for one another as was the rest of the family gathering that filled the adjoining rooms of the Feldern home. Paul was poor, and Nellie's father, the retired Colonel von Feldern, had suffered financial reverses owing to his generosity in shouldering a comrade's debt. Neither of the young people could raise the sum of money required by the Austrian military authorities as a first condition for consent to the marriage of an army officer. Paul was a man of sensitive mind and high ideals of honor. He would not consent to bind the girl to him thus hopelessly. But the renunciation cost him many an hour of suffering. It seemed doubly hard this evening. With her grave sweet beauty enhanced by a simple and becoming evening gown, with the pretty flush on her soft cheeks that betrayed her happiness in thus having him at her side, Nellie had never seemed so lovable, so desirable. Apart from the one absorbing topic of his affection for her, there was something else in Paul's mind that night, something he wanted to speak to Nellie about, but he could not find courage to broach the subject. When they had sat silent for some time, Nellie said, "'You asked me to leave the others and come in here because you had something to say to me.' what is it it's difficult for me to say it said paul but the matter is important very important for me don't be afraid to talk said nellie gently you know i'm always glad to hear anything you have to say without answering paul handed her the anonymous letter she read it then turned to him in surprise is this what was worrying you she asked i don't understand and why why did you want me to read it nellie's voice trembled the lids drooped over her eyes and the color came and went on her soft cheeks. "'It doesn't worry me as much as it did at first, said the young officer. "'I can think about it more calmly now. And it is you, just you, who must read this letter, Miss Nellie. This about the father-in-law, don't you understand? It means your father.' "'Oh, at least I am forced to think it does, because yours is the only house to which I have come with any frequency at all. But believe me, Miss Nellie, never with any word or hint have I suggested—' that I might be so fortunate. Paul stopped, unable to find the words in his eagerness. The girl looked at him gravely. You need not tell me this. I know it. I trust you. Thank you, thank you. And now may I bother you with a few questions? Certainly. Does this handwriting remind you of any you might have seen at any time? He handed her the letter again. She looked at it carefully. It's a disguised hand, I suppose. It doesn't seem to remind me of anyone. It must have been written by someone who knows you, and who envies me the happiness which he believes, without any justification, to be mine. It must have been written by someone who hates me, because he loves you. A nice sort of love, that. Every man loves as his nature is. This man loves more like a villain, then, if you do not mistake the motive of this letter. I cannot understand any other motive for it. Well, then, said Nellie, settling back in her sofa corner, let us go at the matter in a business-like way. Now the number of those who might have written such a letter from such a motive is not as great as you seem to think. In Lintz, for instance, there were only two suitors. One was Captain von Schlem, and the other was a lawyer, Mr. Stoger. 
they're both happily married now you know and therefore need not come in for consideration no indeed i know both these men they are not capable of an action of this sort but can't you remember someone else someone who might never have come sufficiently into the horizon of your life to be called an official suitor but someone who loved you at a distance for instance i hate to ask all these things miss nelly but my friend commissioner lair and the detective who is in charge of the case concerning my uncle believe that this letter might have something to do with it and they are very anxious to find some clue to the writer why certainly i don't exactly see how this letter could have anything to do with your uncle's disappearance but i'll gladly do all i can to help you now for instance at the present moment i don't have to think very far i don't know of anybody at all now miss nelly why i could name two besides my own self one of them is in the other room now there he stands talking to your father and probably wishing me in the farthest corner of the earth nelly laughed brightly you mean mr cress oh he's such a decent sort even if he has a red beard you surely don't think that he certainly not no more do i think it of my comrade loren who's now up in the mountains of hungary but there must be someone else a man doesn't need to have said anything to a woman and yet somehow she understands that he is in love with her can't you remember any such secret admirer oh yes there is someone he sends me flowers anonymously indeed and poems too have you any of them asked paul eagerly no i'm sorry now what happened to them i burned them i didn't like the tone of them it was too passionate it wasn't nice altogether i received about six or seven of these bunches of flowers each time with a poem i sent the flowers to the hospital i read only two of the poems the others i burned without reading them that's too bad did that happen in Linz too no that began in mauer you know the little village outside vienna where we lived for nearly a year two years ago then and you never heard any more from this admirer why i don't know i get flowers occasionally perhaps they're from him but he doesn't send any more of the poems how did these things come to you when we were in the country they came with the parcels post from vienna here they're brought by a messenger now may i ask where you lived in mauer did you have a house of your own there no we rented a larger part of a house from a mrs von probst she owned the house and also a very unpleasant son he was one of those conceited individuals although goodness knows he had no right to be for the only thing noticeable about him was his ugliness i suppose he tried to attract your attention no more than he did that of everybody else but i shouldn't talk so about him the poor fellow can't help being ugly in spite of his conceit he was not very aggressive and they said that he was honest and very capable too and you can't remember anything else nothing at all that would give us a clue to the writer of this letter no nothing at all then you've engaged a detective about your uncle yes a very good one they tell me and yet nothing's been discovered no word of your uncle or of his death no nothing this detective has only just taken up the case you know i am sure no one could wish to have light brought into this mystery more than i do paul sighed deeply and an answering sigh came from the girl beside him then they both blushed and did not dare to look at each other for the moment for the same thought had passed through the mind of each the thought of what definite news of leopold Erlock's death would mean to them nelly bent her head deeper over the fragrant mass of violence that filled the glass bowl on the table they were paul's gift while the great bunch of glowing roses that stood near had been brought by mr cress the rich merchant who now stood in the other room talking to the colonel but glancing impatiently towards the corner where the young couple sat there was a heavy silence between the two 
full of unspoken emotion. Finally, Paul said slowly and gravely, "'Miss Nellie, you're working too hard at your studies. You are so pale. I don't half believe that you have the strength to stand the strain of teaching. If I dare give you any advice at all, it will be to—to prefer those roses. It is now the thirteenth day since my uncle's disappearance, and there has been no sign of him, living or dead. If it cannot be proven that he is alive or dead, we know what that means. Why, Miss Nellie, Nellie, what are you doing?' Nellie had arisen from her seat, taken the vase with the roses, and carried it away to set on a cabinet at the other end of the room. Then she came back to the sofa. "'What are you doing? What have you done?' he asked again. "'The only thing I could do,' said the girl gently, her cheeks a soft rose as he bent to kiss her hand. "'I prefer violets.' The morning after his return from Pressburg, Mueller made an early call on Johann Stillinger. Carl's accomplice of the attempted robbery. He had the address from the police and walked into the young man's room without much ceremony. "'You are Johann Stillinger?' the detective said. "'And who are you?' asked the man who sat at the table, a true type of bully of the tenement districts. "'I'm a police agent.' Stillinger said nothing for a moment. He'd had so much to do with the police recently that he judged silence to be his best policy. He continued to drink his morning coffee as if the matter didn't concern him at all. But it did not escape Mueller's notice that the spoon shook in his hand. The detective sat down on the only other chair in the bare little room and began comfortably. Don't let your coffee get cold. I just want you to tell me a little more about that hold-up last week. Now Carl Tunner— Stillinger jumped up, dropping his spoon on the floor. Has that fool been talking, that damn idiot? he screamed. Just wait till I settle him, when I get out again. Do be quiet. You'll alarm the whole house, and besides, nobody's locked you up yet. What do you mean by that? Merely a hint that I haven't come to arrest you. In fact, I haven't any warrant to do it. Johann Stillinger looked at his visitor in surprise. Then what did you come for? he asked, sitting down again. I'll tell you. Hurry up about it. I'll take my own time, please. First of all, I have a suggestion. Suppose you take a position with the street-cleaning department. Stillinger shook his head and asked ironically, now where'd you get that idea? It's not such a bad idea. They're not likely to take you on again at the market. And I suppose you haven't learned any trade, or you wouldn't have been in that work. It won't be easy for you to get work by your own efforts now, and I don't suppose you're particularly anxious to come down in the world any more than you have. Am I right about this? Guess you might be. I ain't hankering after having anything more to do with the police. Well, then, you've got to work if you want to avoid the police, and you can have a position at street cleaning if you want it. But see here, there's something queer about this, that you're so anxious to help me. Where's the hook? I want you to do something for me, and I don't want you to do it without payment. I can't get you a position at court, but I can arrange for your employment in the street-cleaning department. I'm willing to do that for what I want of you. I don't see any particular good in putting you in prison again, although you did get free a little too easy this time. You might as well have a try at leading a decent life. Therefore, I'm not troubling my conscience about keeping silent on what— "'On what that damned idiot told you?' interrupted Stillinger angrily. Mueller pushed him back in the chair again. "'Go easy now. Tunner told me the truth about the matter without any intention to injure you at all. I'll explain to you later how it was. Now I have a question. Did you spend a part of the night of the ninth of September in the neighborhood of Insersdorf?' "'Yes. Well, suppose I did. What were you doing out there?' "'I went out with Carl. He was going to his mother. What did he want at that hour of night?' He wanted money. He had to have it next morning. If he didn't get the fifty crowns, they'd lock him up. 
But he asked for a hundred. Oh, you know that, do you? Then what do you ask me about it? Mueller looked straight at the man, and the bully's eyes sank. It was you who got him to do that, said the detective calmly, and you went with him to be sure he wouldn't turn back at the last moment. Yes, that's true. Carl's a weak sort of chap. He's sure the kind that turns back at the last minute. I shouldn't call a man a coward merely because he hasn't the courage to do an evil thing. Now I want you to tell me exactly what happened that night. Well, if you know it all, why should I tell you about it? You will do as I tell you and do it right now. All right, then. Well, we went out to the country and it was pretty late. I heard it strike eleven in Inzersdorf when Carl climbed over the wall. I walked up and down. Then I stood by a tree, a poplar tree it was, at the edge of the meadow. That's how we'd arranged it. I waited and waited, and it was the longest time before I heard anything moving. Nothing but just the wind. Then I hear something moving in the avenue, under the row of trees that goes out from the garden to the high road. But there was such a mist on the moor that the moon didn't help yer to see much. All I knew was that what was moving under the trees wasn't coming from the same place where Carl climbed over the wall. So I thinks she saved him the trouble and opened the gate for him. Then I calls to him two or three times, cause I thinks he's forgotten where he was to meet. He was going in the opposite direction from my tree. When I shouted, there wasn't a sound in the avenue. I called again, but there was nothing happened. Then I hears the dry leaves in the avenue making a noise, as if somebody was walking very quick, and I calls again. Then way off in the fog I see a man's figure, only just for a minute, and I don't see him very distinctly. Then he's gone again. I yelled after him, and suddenly I hears Carl behind me saying to me, "'What are you yelling so for, you fool?' There he was, come over the wall, just where he'd gone in. I asked him for the money, and he tells me, very mad, that he couldn't get it. So we comes back here, and then I thinks out the hold-up. Stillinger stopped and sat looking at the detective in astonishment. Mueller was evidently greatly interested by the man's story. He sat leaning forward in his chair, his lips firmly set, his eyes sharp as steel, and his face pale in excitement. Finally he breathed deeply and leaned back more comfortably. Then, after a pause, he asked, "'Then you saw the man only very indistinctly?' "'Yes, just dim like in the fog. Was there anything you particularly noticed about him?' "'No, or yes. He seemed pretty big, but perhaps that was only the fog.' "'Yes, that's possible. Did he seem to be carrying anything?' "'No. Or were there two of them?' "'No, there wasn't but one. Do you think that if we stood under the poplar tree you could show me the direction the man took?' Now Stillinger became interested himself. "'Is that so important?' he said. Mueller replied sharply. "'Answer my question.' "'Sure, I think I could tell you. "'Very well. Six o'clock this evening you are to meet me in front of the Church of St. Roch. "'I'll have a carriage there and we'll drive out to Inzersdorf.' "'I'll be there,' said Stillinger. "'But why is all that so important?' Mueller stood up and took his hat. "'I suppose you never read the papers,' he said. I get a blanket one occasionally, when I have the cash for a glass of beer in the café. Well, you don't miss much, and the matter concerned here probably wouldn't interest you, so you needn't ask any more about it. Be there on time, and now, good-bye. The detective was already at the door when Stillinger called to him. But you want me to do something for you. You ain't getting me a position for nothing? Mueller laughed. You've done it already, or nearly so. What? You told me a story which I think will be of great value to me. "'Is that all?' asked the man, astonished. "'And then you'll take a drive with me this evening.' "'And you're going to get me a place for that?' "'Yes, and a chance to be a decent man. "'You're in luck, young friend, "'but I don't know as I'm doing it so much for you "'as for all those to whom you might be dangerous "'if you keep on as you are now.' 
Another nod, and Mueller was outside the door. He had gone to see Stillinger simply so as not to reproach himself for having neglected any possible clue. Since Carl Tunner told him that Stillinger had waited outside the greenhouse that evening, Mueller knew it would be wise to find the man and question him, for he might have seen something during his vigil. But experienced detective as he was, Mueller never imagined he was going to get as much out of this visit as he really did. Stillinger had undoubtedly seen either Erlock's murderer or Erlock himself, probably the former, for unless the old gentleman had suddenly lost his senses, it was not at all likely that he should have voluntarily gone into hiding and remained absent so long. But if the figure seen through the fog was Erlock's murderer, where was the old man himself? According to Stillinger's report, the man he had seen had not been carrying a burden, and he had been quite certain that there were not two of them. Therefore, it could not be a case of kidnapping, as Mueller had thought might be possible. The mystery deepened the more he went into it, and Mueller's interest grew with the growing difficulty of the case. His carriage stopped in front of the church at exactly six o'clock, and he found Stillinger waiting for him. They drove out into the country at a sharp pace, and reached the poplar tree by the wayside just as twilight was falling. Mueller let his wagon wait for him at some little distance. The poplar tree lay about fifty paces from the garden wall and about an equal distance from the end of the avenue of trees. "'Over there is where I see him disappear,' said Stillinger, pointing towards the southwest, where another avenue of very old trees cut off the horizon line. "'Was it lighter then than it is now?' asked Mueller. "'You said the moon was shining.' Stillinger shook his head. "'Yes, but there was a fog. If you want to know how far you could see that night, you'll have to wait a bit.' "'All right, we'll wait a bit.' The black moor, on the edge of which the two watchers stood, was a low-lying, almost treeless waste, already veiled in twilight, and in the fluttering, ragged ends of mist that rose from it in spots. In the direction to which Stillinger pointed, there were several roads, leading various ways. "'Did the man change his direction after you called to him?' asked the detective. Stillinger did not think that this was the case. Then they stood in silence for some time, till finally the younger man said, "'There now, this is about what it was like that night. Yer couldn't scarce see the trees in the avenue one from another. Sir, yer see, I couldn't get more than just a squint of him. I'll go over there, and then you can see how it was.' He ran out into the gloom. Mueller watched him, disappearing into the avenue of trees, heard the leaves rustle under his feet, and saw him come out again at the other end. Stillinger ran on for some few yards in the direction in which he had pointed, and Mueller could see him most of the time. But he knew that on the night in question there had been very much more of a fog, and the air was not nearly as clear. This rendered it much more difficult to estimate the distance and size of any object. Mueller returned to Vienna with Stillinger, leaving the latter at the church where he had found him. "'Go to the main office of the street-cleaning department tomorrow morning at seven o'clock.' were the detective's parting words. They know that you are coming, and your position is assured. And the young man, who now drops out of the story, did really enter the service of the street-cleaning department, and led a more or less decent life. This was just one of the many good things that Mueller did, so quietly and unassumingly that few people heard of them. End of chapter 6